Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we enter into a time of our year where we, we are reminded to be thankful, Lord, this has been a year where we could not forget your graces or your mercy in the work that you have done. Lord, let our thankfulness not be something that is a yearly thing, but let it be an attitude of our hearts each and every day, knowing that you rule and reign, knowing that you have worked for and are working for your people each and every day. Lord, strengthen us for the task ahead. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with his praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for He has made me glad. I will enter His gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His court with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. All right, just just a warning, it's going to be one of those days. And the reason I say that is because Cameron comes in to run the computer, looks over at me and goes, Ask me where Jada is. I look at the back where the children are and go, that's a good question. So out the side door I go. She's not in there. Go down to the kitchen. She's not there. I come back in and go, where could that child be? Right there. <laughs> Literally hidden in plain sight. Oh, so there, there's my brain. It's going to be one of those days. So, all right, couple of things for reminders. Um, continue to be in prayer for Lou and family. They are mostly okay, as, as Lou put it, still having residual effects. So, still, you know, sneezing and coughing and sore throats. So, just just fun. So, remember them. Also, remember Jay and Renee. I have not gotten an update. I know Clark had it, and I expected to see Clark this morning because Jay and Renee both uh, tested positive and been staying home with COVID this week. So which Jay has been wondering when he was going to get it working at the post office. So it's just a matter of time. At least that's what he said. Anyway, uh, last reminder is we are supposed to have a business meeting after the service today, so we will plan on that. So you have to make sure the business meeting goes quickly because only then do you get to go have lunch. See how that works? They schedule the meal after the business meeting. They're like, yes, we'll do this. Okay, whatever. Go. So there you go. I'll just come. Because yeah, as, as I told Becca, because our business meetings are just, you know, they're so terribly, interminably long. Yeah, you're funny. That's what Becca said. She's like, you can just wrap up like 1130 or so. I'm like, please, our business meetings are 10, 15 minutes tops. Like 20 if somebody gets upset by something, or 25 if Jonathan keeps talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that works. All right, um, that's everything I had on my list. Was there anything else that I'm thinking about? So if that's the case, I'm just going to go with no. All right, I keep wanting to put this away, but I can't. All right, 
We are almost to the end of our little church survey. So you can see last week's, last week's, which should have been obvious, are, are in there, but unfortunately they're not. So, true or false, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. <laughs> that, hang on. Got to do three different things before I'm allowed to cough. I got to mute the microphone, turn my head, get and find a sleeve. Of those folks that attend evangelical churches once a week, so churches that we wouldn't have a problem with if we read their statement of faith, and the people that actually go once a week, 28% of them said that statement was true. <laughs> just they're wrong. I would agree with you, but uh, 65% said it was false. Now, here's, you, you want to be frightened. If you remove denominational affiliation and church attendance, 54% of quote-unquote Christians said that statement was true. 34% said that statement was false. Now, if you don't think what we talk about on a Sunday morning is objectively true and is a matter of your own personal opinion, aren't we like the world's worst social club at that point? I mean, you might as well just go hang out and watch football on a, on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, <laughs> but at least you showed up first. We appreciate it. All right. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Of those, now this, this one will make you feel good. Of those who attend evangelical churches once a week, 95% of them said that statement was true. Which that, yeah, we can celebrate about that. 5% said it was false, which is probably, it is too, still, still too low, but I will, I'm, just, I'm taking a win wherever I get it. The one good news about this question, this is the first question where there was no gray area that I noticed in the survey. Because you notice most Sundays, if I give the numbers and you do the math, they don't equal 100. This one did. 95% said true. 5% said false. If you remove, be ready, prepare yourself, make sure you're sitting down. If you remove denominational affiliation and church attendance, 62% said that statement was true. 38% said it was false. I, I wonder how many Catholics we had in there. And I don't say that mockingly because, no, in, in Catholic uh, theology, the Bible is not the highest authority for what the church believes. They have what they call the three legs of the stool. So you have scripture, you have the magisterium, which would be the church, and then you have the magisterium, which interprets church sacred tradition. So this is why if you've ever argued with a Roman Catholic and you bring a Bible verse and they argue with a church father, or you mention something that's in a Bible verse, and they mention something that a pope said. And you're like, this, we're not having the same conversation. And you're not, because your authority for what you believe in and how you practice your faith is based on Scripture. Their foundation is Scripture as interpreted and understood by the church through the ages. So tradition, which is defined by the church, and the church's teachings, which defines the church, are what actually equal that authority. So that's why I say that. I'm, I'm not trying to be snooty about it. That, that, that actually makes sense. All right, it is very important for me to person to. I'm sorry, let me read this properly. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Of those who attend evangelical churches once a week, 90% said that was true. 10% said that was false. Once again, no gray area here. If you remove denominational affiliation and you remove church attendance, 54% said that was true, and 46% said that was false. <laughs> <laughs> again the reason i go through this <laughs> you're like what are these people doing and the reason i go through this is because when you meet somebody in the street or you see the random person at walmart and they go well i'm a christian 
you almost really in your brain need to start hearing that word with air quotes until you actually get another couple of answers because that's the world. If you wanted a great example of this, um, about a week before the election, there is a, um, there's this, I say kid, I think he's 26, which I've reached the age now where if I see you and you're 26, I say kid. So I don't know when, when that happened, but I did. Um, he ran for Congress in North Carolina and won. He is now the uh, youngest member of Congress, at least he will be in January when he's sworn in. Um, grew up in a, in a Christian home, Christian church, near as I can figure, good kid. But they tried to, you know how they always have the smear stories right before the election for everybody? But you know what his smear story was? He believes that it's important for him to tell other people that they should trust in Jesus or they'll go to hell. <laughs> and, I was like, and, and I was reading the story, and, I, and one of the comments on the story from, from somebody else was, breaking news, New York Times, because I think it was a New York Times story, New York Times discovers Christians exist. And it's like, oh, that's, that's funny. It's like, breaking news, Christian believes Christian things. The reason that's such a big deal is because, again, when you put the words Christian on something, half of the people in the survey would say, no, I don't have to tell other people about Jesus. Why would I go and do a thing like that? Bizarre. And we wonder why the world is the way that it is. Now, don't take that as a beating. I'm not like telling you you need to stop in the middle of Walmart and yell, repent, the end is nigh. Although, if you want the aisle to clear out in front of you, probably not a bad way to go about it, you know. Get the beard going, guys. You know, don't cut your hair for a couple of weeks. You're like, ah, you're all going to hell. But at the same token, remember how we've always tried to define this. Where does discipleship, or with whom does discipleship start? With you. As long as you're being a disciple, and you are discipling you, what will you by extension do to the people that are around you on a regular basis? You will disciple them as well. Conversely, if they are doing this, what happens? It's what we call our concentric circles. You don't have to become Billy Graham. You just have to be faithful where you are and do the work and encourage others to be faithful, and the gospel does its job. This is how Christianity worked in the first century. This is how it worked in the second and third century when it was, when it was illegal. This is how Christianity flourished the most during the high Middle Ages when you had the uh, Spanish Inquisition and the persecution of the Roman Catholic Church. This is how, the, how Christianity has always functioned best. When we try to make it a top-down thing, well, if, if I can just get you to my church where you can hear my pastor, we're doomed. We've already lost the fight. Do the hard work for yourself. Do the hard work for those that God has placed in front of you and let the Holy Spirit do his job. Because you know who's really good at his job? The Holy Spirit is. And he's better at it than I am. And he's better at it than you are. So as long as we're faithful doing the work that he's called us to, we have a shot. Now, we only have one more week of church survey answers. I'm kind of sad. This has been almost fun. So again, I'll, I'll keep them going. If you've kept your bulletins, you'll have all the answers. But the biggest takeaway from this is do not assume the definition of Christian in the world that we have. I, I remember Matt, uh, Matt remembered it probably better than I did, that it was a Barna or one of the groups did the question, like how many people actually had of go, that are going to church, how many of them had a Christian worldview, meaning they believed the Bible and followed along? And the answer was like 10 or 15%, which that's not as many people as you think there are, and that's not as many people as we have in churches on a Sunday, which means a lot of our churches have what in them? People that are there, why are they there? Hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of times, neither do they. So don't assume. Do the hard work, evaluate, and make sure your foundation is well-grounded. Anything else I'm forgetting? Oh, oh, I see hands. 
Saturday. Oh, see, thank you. See, see, this is what happens to me. It's Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm geared up towards Thanksgiving. You know I'm going to forget starts next Sunday? Advent starts next Sunday. Now, with that, this is not something I'm in charge of. So if you have anything to do with this, talk to Cameron after the service. But at some point, we've got to get some of the decorations out. We've got to get the, 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 the Advent candle stand. There's a name for it that I can't think of right now. The what? No, nah, it's not candelabra. There's something else for it. I don't, anyway, the Advent thing. <laughs> like I know something or anything. So we have, we have lots of Christmas decorations that we would like to get out. If you would like to help with that, see the lady in the orange dress after the service. You can't miss her. She'll be running around probably in an apron <laughs> because she brought it and she's got food. So. Um, so see Cameron after the service. We'll get that figured out, how we can decorate, when we can decorate. Because what we've tried the last couple of years is, hey, come on Saturday. And you know what ends up happening? Nobody could, everybody's like, oh, that was today. And like three of us are dragging trees out and trying to hang wreaths. And two years in a row, I have hung that massive wreath that goes out there with like one other person. And I'm, I'm tired of half dying on a ladder. So if you'd like to help with decorating and get that organized, see Cameron. We'll get it all scheduled up on, on times that meet with everybody's schedule and see what we can get figured out and go from there. Sound good? Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Anything else? In that case, I will get out of the way and we can stand and sing. Some glad morning when this life is all I'll away to walk home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. Oh, fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away in the morning. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life is thrown, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars that flown, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. To a land where joy shall never end, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll 
We're going to do a, another uh, a praise song, so you're welcome to join in. Lord, I lift your name all night. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to be from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to be from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift All right. See, that would have made sense. Why would I mark it in my Bible where I was going to be this morning? That would be, like, smart and stuff. Then I wouldn't have to find it. Why would I go and do a thing like that? Got to remember, you used to, used to help with the Bible drill, kids. And you want to talk about fun is you get your Bible and you, you give them a passage. And you get, like, eight or ten seconds and you got to find it and gets a spot and the one rule is no fanning of the pages yeah because if you, the minute you start looking for something in the bible you're know, the first thing you start doing right yeah you can't do that and it doesn't sound like it'd be complicated to find anything in your bible in 10 seconds but do it with a hard-packed bible while people are staring at you while you're standing up and don't fan pages you have to take them in chunks <laughs> i used to amaze these eight nine year old kids are like you give them a bible passage they got it in like four seconds they know where it is and it's like Good deal. I can't do that now. <laughs> now I feel bad. So, Anyway, something productive for this morning. It is Thanksgiving. I warned you last week. Well, it's not Thanksgiving today, but for us on Sunday, it's Thanksgiving. I warned you last week we would be taking a break from the book of Exodus, so we have completed nine of those plagues. You've got to wait till after Christmas to get to the tenth plague, so at least you have something to look forward to when Christmas is over. Plagues! <laughs> 
I mean, I considered not stopping and just because it, wouldn't it be the most 2020 thing ever to just keep doing the plagues in the middle of Christmas? I mean, would, wouldn't that have just been appropriate? I mean, it, it would have made sense, right? We, we, we'll just add a couple in there. There's some more pestilence in the Bible somewhere we can find. But felt like it was a good idea we can stop and take care of Thanksgiving and work through Christmas and actually have some joyfulness in this world because that is what we're supposed to have as Christians walking in this place. So with that said, first rule for today, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I am going to do what our Bible does. I am going to assume God and his work to walk through this psalm. And that's one of the things that I think we forget a lot of times when you read your Bible is, do not fall into the trap. Don't, I, I, I pick on them all the time because they need to be picked on, so I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, do not fall into the History Channel, National Geographic trap of reading your Bible from the world's point of view. You read and understand your Bible from a Christian believing perspective. And we're going to do that when we walk through the psalm because if you don't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It just, it's bizarre. It's stuff thrown together that you can't figure out. So when we look at it from a Christian perspective, it makes sense and we can actually apply the truths backwards and forwards. And that's hopefully going to be the goal. So before I ramble any further, Psalm 100, we're going to read the whole thing, all five verses. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Whole Sunday on five whole verses. Isn't it going to be fun? Oh, come on. You can be a little excited, just like a tiny bit. Oh. So I'm having one of those Sundays, and you're having one of those Sundays. Oh, we're doomed. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now in the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I'm doomed. All right. Rewind to the beginning. Let's just start at the front. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. All right. Why start there? Because it's, a, your, it's your reminder of what does God own? Psalm 24, if you don't know a Bible verse, learn this one today. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. This is an unchallengeable idea in Scripture. Remember I said we want to look at this from a believing perspective because your Bible assumes this. Think for a second. Go all the way back to the beginning. What's your first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, ask yourself this question. For the next 66 books, however many chapters, I'm not doing the math, for the next remainder of your Bible, how much time does Scripture spend proving that point, intentionally seeking to prove that point? See, I would make a different argument. None. The Bible doesn't need to prove to you that God exists and that he has created everything because it's one of those duh moments of humanity. This is why Paul in Romans 1 can say this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Okay, wait a minute. What truth, pray tell, are they suppressing? That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him.
but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, make sure we, we, we're going to parse a very fine point here. Does your Bible prove who God is and what he does? Yes. Does your Bible seek to actively prove to you that God exists? No. No, it doesn't, because it's assumed. How is it assumed? How many of you have ever put together Legos that, you know, not like the box of stuff, but like but the actual project Legos? Like when you're done, it's supposed to be a race car. Like when I was a kid, I had the pirate ships. They were awesome. Connor loves the Marvel ones. You ever take those Legos, you open all the bags, dump them back into the box, close the box, and shake it, right? If you do that enough times, will you ever put together what the box is supposed to be? Ever. No. Welcome to what the History Channel tells you happens to your universe. If you just keep, if you give it enough time and you shake it enough, you'll eventually make like the race car or the pirate ship or the air, whatever it is. If you just shake the Legos enough times, you'll eventually make it. No. When you go to somebody's house and there's a Lego boat or a Lego car or a little model tank or whatever they put together, what do you know occurred? Somebody sat down with all of those pieces and painstakingly did what? Yeah. Or it's like, you ever seen those pirate ships in the bottle? You just shove all the stuff in the bottle, put the cork in it, and shake. Oh, oh, no, it, that, see, that'll never work, because what didn't I put in there? Well, no, I put all the parts in there, but I got to put the glue in. See, you put all the parts in there, you pour the glue in the top, put the cap on it, just shake one time, and you'll eventually get a pirate ship, right? No. Someone had to do what? Sit there with those little tong things that they use and put all of those? Yes. Now, we know this. We know this. So why do we go outside and go, trees? Birds, plants, animals, people. I know what happened. The universe, just over a really, 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 really long period of time, there was some heat, and like after a while, the heat just like put everything together, right? That, that made perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, the molecules rammed into each other, and after they rammed into each other enough times, something occurred. Yeah. Now, am I, am I giving them their best argument? No. Am I making it sound silly? Yes. Why am I making it sound silly? Because it is silly. Thank you. Someone under someone gets me. <laughs> no. This is the secular worldview in action. Your Bible looks at this and goes, no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is the most obvious thing in existence because when you see the complexity of life and you see the complexity of the world around you, it had to have come from something. You can't, like, most of you are becoming medical experts in the last nine months, right? You have to be. You watch enough news. <laughs> well, we did. Once upon a time when, our, when our, our blood pressure and nerves could handle it, we watched the news. But why do we want viruses to mutate, typically? Because every time they do, they get what? They get weaker. Because how do mutations work? They lose things. And eventually, if an illness loses enough stuff, what's left? Nothing. This is one. Now, this is your good argument. This is why evolution is the farce that it is. Because there is no natural mechanism by which you may add material over time. Genetic variables, genetic mutations are a loss. I, was gonna, I got stuck between lack and loss and ended up saying a weird word. There, it is a loss of genetic material. Something is broken. Something is wrong. And it doesn't function correctly. Somebody take your seat. The nerve of some people. 
Now you know how Jonathan feels every day, right? Jonathan's over there twitching. <laughs> and the reason why, but the reason why this is how evolution actually functions is because when you do try to add or alter genetic material, what do you end up with? So like, when you have children and you, well, they have an extra chromosome. Is that child okay typically? No. Well, if we just keep adding chromosomes over time, are we going to be okay? No. That's, no. that's an outlier. That's not natural to how the world functions. This is why natural selection can't actually produce that result. No. Your Bible's assumption is what should be obvious to every human being. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, since he made it, what does he then do? He owns it. He runs it. He manages it. You don't start a business and be like, all right, where's the dumbest person I can find to run this? I put all this money, time, other than government. <laughs> I put all this money, time, and effort into this. Let me find the biggest moron possible to run it into the ground as quickly as they can. No. you <laughs> See, government agencies, right? No. What do you do? You want someone good to run it. Well, here's the thing. If God has created, who's the best manager? God is. What does he therefore do? He manages. Now, this is not an idea that your New Testament looks at and goes, you know what, I just don't understand this. I'm, maybe there's a way we can change this. No, your New Testament, start with your Old Testament, which is where we are this morning. Keep going, you get how many lessons? One big lesson. We're talking about God and his work for his people. So when you have something clearly taught in the beginning of Scripture, when you get to the New Testament, it is not undermined, it is explained. Places like Acts 17, when Paul was trying to explain this to people. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Remember that idea. We'll come back to it. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, the boundaries for their habitation, in the hopes that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also are his children. Now, Paul, when he got a chance to sit down and write it out, I think he explained it a little bit better in Colossians chapter 1. Talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what is, ex what is assumed at the beginning of Scripture what is shown throughout Scripture is even clarified when you get to the New Testament, that this man, this Christ, is God in flesh, maker of all things, ruler of all things, redeemer of his people. Now, this is a good starting point. Here's your first lesson of the day. Why should we be thankful? We live in God's world, not ours. If nothing else has been learned in this year, what happens when we think we can run all of life? <laughs> if, but when government thinks that we can run everything, we'll tell you who can go to work, who can't go to work. We'll tell you what stores are safe, what stores aren't safe. We'll, we'll run everything, and it'll be awesome. Is, is it ever awesome? 
No, because whose world are we trying to live in? Ours. We're trying to live, when we do that, we're trying to live in a world that we have created, that we have managed. What have we forgotten? Exactly, that we live in God's world and not our own. This is good news. This is reason 8,742, why we should be thankful that you and I are not God. I don't know what all the other reasons are, but they're awesome reasons. Because if you were God, we would all be in trouble because now we'd be living in your world. And I don't know about you, but you don't want to live in my world, and I don't want to live in yours. I want to live in his. No, not even Jonathan can run this place. (laughs) Verse 2. So in light of this, serve the Lord with gladness. See, when we acknowledge that we live in his world, that there is nothing else other than what has come for him, for whom should we be working? Him, right? Psalm 84. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our shield. God, look upon the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. How do you work for God? Like, this is easy. Like, if somebody gives you a job and you now work for them, before they hired you, they told you what? When you show up on Monday, here's what I want you to do. You get a job description, right? How many of you just showed up at a job and were like, okay, now what? What do I do? Well, go stand in the corner. Okay, now what? I will admit, I have done this a few times, but you know what? There's one group of businesses that actually run like that, and you know what they're called? No, no. They're called restaurants. You will walk in off the street and be like, you're hired. Well, now what? Go scrub something. I don't know. <laughs> As a person who's been a restaurant manager before, yes, you give, I just hired this guy. What do you want me to do with him? I don't know. That, okay, fine. Come here. <laughs> and you start teaching. Other than restaurants, before you got hired, what did you get? A job description. So Christian, you are working for God because you live in the world that he has made. How do you work for him? Psalm 84 just laid that out. How blessed is the man who trusts in him. This is where your discipleship walk starts. Remember I asked you earlier, where does disi- with whom does discipleship start? With me. What does that actually look like? How, pray tell, this day do I take up my cross and follow him? See, and this is one of those areas people get annoyed with me. You guys haven't so much, so I don't either. You really like this idea or you understand it really well. I'm just going to think I explained it so awesomely that you understand it really well. That that way I can take some credit for something. (laughs) But I don't have a checklist for you. I don't really most days have a checklist for me. You know why? Because most days when I wake up, my day looks different. I don't know who's going to be on the phone. I don't know what catastrophe is going to occur. I don't know what need is going to rise up. So the goal of the Christian is not, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And some of you fall into this trap. I'm getting up at, you know, X o'clock, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read my Bible, and then I'm going to make the coffee, and you know how long that lasts? That lasts a week because you can't function without the coffee first, and so you already mess yourself up, and then you feel bad, and you stop reading your Bible. Don't do that. Wake up. How do I serve the Lord in my actions? So, how do I make and drink my coffee to the glory of God? That sounds like such a stupid question to ask, but Christian, it's a question you should ask and answer. Because if your life starts in the morning going, I cannot function, I am going to hurt people. Ooh, coffee. 
you are off to the wrong start. Who is your day about? Supposed to be, but in that little montage, who is your day about? Me! See, I've missed the boat. I'm starting on the wrong foot. How do I serve him when I make the coffee? How do I serve him as I drink the coffee? How do I serve him as I watch the news or don't watch the news? How do I serve him as I drive to work? How do I serve him at work? How do I take captive to Christ all of the things that I do so that I am glorifying him in my work, in my life, in my efforts? This is why historically, when you look back at the, um, at the uh, uh, my brain doesn't want to work today. Puritans, there's the word I wanted. Oh my goodness. When you look back at the Puritans, you know what they became famous for? The Roman Catholics would refer to it as the Protestant work ethic. And you're like, I've met some Protestants. Where did, where did that go? What, what did they mean? These people just worked like dogs all day. Why? Because in their minds, the work that they were doing was a labor unto God. I wasn't clearing the trees on this lot in the New World, you know, in New England, when Pilgrim's Puritans, same group. I wasn't clearing this lot in Massachusetts so that my family could have a house. I was clearing this lot because God has delivered me to this land, and he has told us that this is the place that we should build on. Therefore, I need to manage this land to the glory of God each day. So these trees have got to go because by clearing the trees, I have a home, and I have firewood, and I now have a place that I can provide for my family because that's what God has given me. That's a different mindset, isn't it? We don't think like that. We need to. We used to. By we, I mean the history of Christians. You're going, well, I don't have a lot to clear. I don't care. You don't work for a paycheck. You work for God. You don't raise children for your family. You raise children for God. You don't discipline yourself so that you will be smart. You discipline yourself for God. This is how you work in the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, second Bible verse you should memorize. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And it's not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's the punchline. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This changes how you view life. This changes how you view living. It changes how you view dying. I mean, keep in mind, we, we are, you're going to see this one accelerate in the next 10 years because we're, we're what? But what do we want to go with? 15, 20 years behind Europe for the most part? When you go to the most, most godless countries in Europe, we're probably 15, 20 years behind them. This is a thing. You get old enough, oh, my quality of life isn't that good. I'm just going to be bedridden until, you know, until I die. What, what can you do? You can call the doctor. He can bring you a couple syringes. And we can just make you go to sleep now. In certain countries, you can do this for children. And if that's not the most horrifying thing you've ever heard, then check your conscience for a second, please. One of those Belgian countries, Belgium, Netherlands, one of those countries. You can do you can do euthanasia for children in some of these countries. Now, we say that because we have a Christian worldview. If you remove Christian from the perspective, what happens when you get a terminal illness? What do you do? I don't want to hurt. I don't want to waste away. What's the point of that? And if you remove God from the picture, what is the answer to that question? There is no point to that. It hurts and it's miserable and I want this to be over when? As fast as possible. Now, in a world made, ruled, and run by God, is there a point to suffering? Is there a point to illness? Here's one we don't like to think about. Is there a point to dying slowly while people get to watch you waste away? Yes, there is. I don't like it. 
I don't like it. I don't like telling you this. But there is a purpose to it. Why? Because God has given it. It may be a demonstration for you, for your family, for nurses, for doctors. I have no earthly idea. You know when you'll know? When No, no, when you get there. When you get there. You ever had that moment where you're talking to somebody and you're like, I don't even know where the idea came from, but I just, I just said something. And you're like, I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about that, and I, don't even, I didn't even know I knew that. That's happened a few times. Like, I didn't even know I knew those Bible verses. Where'd that come from? Welcome to God giving you the grace when you need it, not beforehand. This is how he works. This is how he has always worked. You are his workmanship, prepared for good works that he has ordained beforehand. If we know that we didn't wake up today and God's going, what are they doing? He's not shocked. Therefore, we can trust, we can walk, and we can continue to do the good work. Why? Serve the Lord with gladness. Because whose world is it? His. Come before him with joyful singing. See, that's less of a direction and more of an attitude. Let's be honest. If you were raised in church, you sang unjoyfully quite a bit, right? (laughs) You had that moment. You're like, I don't even like this song. I used to, you ever, get, you ever get something started in a church as a tradition, you don't know where it came from and you can't stop it? When I was a youth pastor, I inherited one of those. Someone, somewhere, at some point decided it would be a good idea if every year the youth group went to the area um, nursing home and sang Christmas carols. <laughs> I don't know where this started. No one knows where this idea started. It is one of those... It's one of those things in churches when you you ask, why do we do this? And the answer is, we've always done it. Do you know the herding of cats and the pulling of teeth to get a group of predominantly 14, 15, and 16-year-old boys to go to a nursing home and to sing where people can hear them? I used to be like, all right, how many do we have? Well, we got seven. That's not enough. What do you mean it's not enough? Seven guys singing Christmas carols, not enough. Double it. We need more, and we need girls that sing. More of them. Because if you get to about two or three girls, the guys will sometimes sing along. I used to, I, we went, I was, there were years I went with seven, eight teenagers, and it's like, oh. all right, I'm grabbing adults on the way out to make sure. That is not joyful singing. Why not? Why are they not singing joyfully? They don't want to be there. And you know what? I sympathize. Because if I was 15 years old, you know where I wouldn't want to be on a random Sunday night? At a nursing home, singing Christmas carols. I was, I was an adult in my 20s, married, going, you know where I don't want to be on a Sunday night right now? In a nursing home, singing Christmas carols. It's just, I'm not wired that way. Now I probably wouldn't mind it as much. But I get it. Why isn't it joyful? Because they don't want to do it. Christian, why aren't we joyful more often in this world? Because we don't want to do it. Because whose world do we think we live in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sing joyfully. Stand and live in God's world because you are his. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from you amongst your tribes. He will establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offering, the firstborn of your herd and your flock. You will also, I'm sorry, also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God. Rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. 
Moses told that to the children of Israel before they entered into the land because what had been the longing of humanity up until that point? What was lost in the garden? See, it wasn't just that we got this great garden and we got this fruit that we don't have to work for. I mean, yes, the, the, the thorns and the thistles from the ground is a bummer and all, but what did we really lose? That's the part we miss in the part. When Adam and Eve go to hide themselves, why did they hide themselves? How did they know he was around? He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Fellowship, communion, personal relationship with God, severed when sin enters into the world. When God picks Israel from Egypt, what is he promising them? You will be my people and I will be your God. There will be a connection. When he comes down to the tabernacle, what do you now have? You have God coming down from heaven to dwell with his people. And they still can't get it because they're still separated. That's why once they're settled in the land, what do they build? Big, massive, giant temple. The house that God has chosen for his dwelling. So the glory of the Lord will come down. And in the, in the, the sight of all the people, the cloud symbolizing the glory of the Lord fills the temple. Everybody knows that if you want to go see God, where is he? It's at the temple. When we bring our offerings, where do we go? We go to the temple. When we want to have a meal in the presence of God, where do we go? To the temple. Christian. Where is that now? It's you. Believers in Christ. It is you. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. When you read Paul talking about, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He's not just talking about the church. He's talking about the you. God dwelling with his people at the temple. In Christ, God dwells with his people how? Personally. What was severed in the garden by the work of Christ is restored. That's why Jude celebrates to him, talking about Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Why couldn't they all enter into the tabernacle? Because God, the, God's holiness would cook their sin. And when you fried their sin, what part of them did you fry? <clears throat> all of them. That's why the Nazis melted. Okay, one chuckle. One person's paying attention. Raiders of the Lost Ark, remember they opened the, the see, see, okay. Make, ah. Come on now, you, gotta, you, gotta, you guys got to watch some more 80s movies if you want to get all my bad jokes. <laughs> what separated them? Their sin still separated them. Why couldn't they just go into the temple and look upon the glory of the Lord? Face-melting thing again. So what happens? The priest had to go through 17 different steps, make supplication for the people, make supplication for himself, bring the offering, sprinkle the blood, and then he can go in. And then, how often did he do it? Once a year. That's why at the crucifixion, what's, what's the big event at the temple? Curtain, torn. Why? Because what's happened? We no longer have to go to the temple. We no longer have to make the sacrifice. We no longer have to be purified. Why? Because the temple has come to you. Purification has come to you. Sacrifice has been made for you. That's why Hebrews 4 tells you, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who, can, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet is without sin. Therefore, so since we have a perfect sacrifice, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, not only do we live in God's world, but we are his people by the grace and work of Christ. We're his. We have communion. We have fellowship. If I gave you God, what else do you want? <laughs> I mean, what else do you need? See, that's why we lose our thankfulness. We don't 
think in these terms day-to-day -day life. Think about it from this perspective. <clears throat> what takes your crummy house, car, whatever it is that you don't like about your life, what takes it from being that crummy thing that drives you crazy to being the thing that you have needed and grants you what it's supposed to? Attitude. Attitude and mindset. When it's this thing I got to deal with, it's miserable. When it's the thing that God has given me to accomplish what he has set me to do, what is it? It's, it's a blessing. It's glorious. I mean, think, think about how many of you would drive your first car. <laughs> you still can't. Most of us, like, here, 1990, which at the time was not quite 10 years old, a 1990 Dodge Dynasty. If you have no idea what that is, it's about as long as this room. It's made out of all steel, and it had 175,000 miles on it, and I had to replace the water pump the first weekend I bought it. It's basically, and it cost me 900 bucks. Now, if you gave me that car today, I'd be like, eh, okay, look, I have a nicer car. Why did I love that car when I was 17? Because it's my car. I have I'm not bumming rides. The money in my pocket is now gone, but I can get where I need to go. I can go to work. I can go see my girlfriend. I can do all these things. <laughs> What's different between me now and me 20 plus years ago? Mindset. Christian, what changes the things of your world from being the things you deal with to the things you rejoice over? Mindset. Is it a gift from God? Do you have it? Then the answer is yes. And if God has gifted it, then it is sufficient for what he has called you to do. That's why this, I mean, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? Verse 3, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And again, I point this out occasionally just to make sure. You notice how the word Lord is unusual in that verse, right? That's, that's know that Yahweh himself is God. That's what it's literally saying. Anytime you see capitalized Lord like that, that's the proper name of God. Yahweh is in the original Hebrew. Why is this important? Know that Yahweh himself is God and is he who has made us and not we ourselves. See, this is your first warning bridge against idolatry. To think that anyone else or anything else is God is literally idolatry. That's how Exodus chapter 20 defines it. Anything else is a God made in whose image? Yours. Long passage, but worth reading. Isaiah 44. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and he becomes weary. Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass. He makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in his house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. But he also makes a fire to bake bread. And he also makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meats and he, that he roasts or roasts and is satisfied. But he also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. 
but the rest of it he makes into a god. His graven image, he falls down before it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. Isaiah understood the world he lived in, didn't he? Do you notice the painstaking detail that he gave to that? I mean, when you made an idol, you were going to worship this thing. Do you just throw it together willy-nilly? No, you took your time. He was a good craftsman. You measure how many times? Twice, so that you do what? You cut once, because if you measure once, you end up cutting, <laughs> which means I got to do it again. Nobody likes to do the job again. No, but also notice the folly of this. There's this beautiful tree that you planted, and the rain has made it grow, and it's ready now. So what do we do? We cut the tree down, and half of it, I do what with it? I warm my house. I cook my food. I make a roast for my family to enjoy a lovely meal. What do I do with the rest of it? Ah, there's my God. Okay, this sounds dumb, right? What made the top half good for burning and cooking and the bottom half good for a god? Or what made the bottom half good for burning and cooking and the top half good for a god? The answer is me, because other than that, who's in charge here? Now, we read this and we go, that's insane. No one would ever engage in idolatry at that level. You're right. You don't cut down trees and carve idols. But no one would ever say that their family is the most important thing in all the existence. No one would ever say that. No one would ever forsake their health for their family. No one would ever forsake their spiritual disciplines for the sake of their family. I mean, we would never live in a world where Christian families would never go to church because there's sports on Sunday. That would never happen. It's ridiculous. I'm not talking about the ones you're watching. I'm talking about the ones where your kids are playing. Mm. Do you realize that when we talk in a lot of places about regular church attendance, when Lifeway or Barna or Pew Research, when they ask a family with children in the household what regular church attend, if they attend church regularly, do you know how many Sundays a year defines regular church attendance for a family with children in the house? No, it's a little bit than that. It's between 20 and 30. Now, how many Sundays are there in a year? 52. So if you attend every other Sunday, if you have children, you are counted as a regular attender, statistically, most of the time. Why? Because what happens when kids get to 10, 11, 12, 13, 14? There's a baseball tournament. When is that baseball tournament going to be on? It's on a Sunday. When's the soccer tournament going to be? On a Sunday. Now, you've got these kids. You've spent hundreds, and in some cases, thousands of dollars to play these sports. Where are you going to be on a Sunday? We would never, ever forsake church, the assembly of the saints, for the sake of our family and what we think is best for them. We would never do that. We would never, ever think, my retirement is set. I'm good. I don't have anything to worry about. We would never do that. As long as the 401k is growing, I'm good. There's nothing else to worry about. We would never do that as Christians, would we? Never in a million years. We'd never think about our homes or our health or the government or any of these things as higher than God. See, we mock the idolatry of the ancient world because we see the folly of the painstakingness of carving and crafting, and we go, that's just ridiculous. While we carve and we craft over here. We would never do that because we don't think of idolatry in the same way. Discipleship starts when we say, how do I serve God right now? How do I glorify God and honor him in what I'm doing right now? Be it driving or talking to my family or talking to the neighbors or shopping at the store, whatever it is, how do I glorify God in 
this thing. See, Psalm 100 reminds you that when we know that he is God, that he has made us, that we are not ourselves, that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It's going to sound like a really silly question, but where does the sheep graze? See, it's more specific than that. So sheep just go to any old field, right? Let's ask this. Vern, in whose fields do your cows fight? Whose fields are your cows supposed to be in? Because <laughs> there are days. See, there you go. But in whose fields are your cows supposed to be? Yours. What fields do they graze in? The ones you tell them to be in most of the time. Cows are a little different than sheep. But for the most part, the sheep are where? Where the shepherd puts them. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We walk in the way that he has laid out for us. Why? Because where are you? You are where the shepherd has put you. Therefore, you should do what? Do the sheep ever look at the grass and like, you know, we were looking and that, it, we like that field better. So what do you think? We'll, we'll make you a deal. No. Now they do that. That's when they jump the fence and get out. But what does the, the good shepherd go do then? Stop it. <laughs> and you put them back. Christian, same thing. God has put you where you belong. He is leading you. He is guiding you. He is prospering you so that your spirit and your soul will be nourished and grow. And yes, when you get out of the midst of that, he will discipline you. John 10, the Jews gathered around Jesus and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And if you remember actually going through John, by the time we got to John 10, you're like, well, if you keep, are you the Messiah or not? It's like, how many times does the man actually have to say it? So Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, if we're honest, we know where we're supposed to be. We know what we're supposed to be doing, and we know the right way we're supposed to be doing it. That's why when you're not where you're supposed to be, doing the thing you're supposed to do, the way you're supposed to do it, you get that little voice in the back of your head. It's like, what are you doing? Stop it. How many of you ever like, found yourself in the midst of sin and be like, I don't know how I got here? See, you're laughing because you're just like, you knew there were 18 stop signs, a guardrail, someone waving flags, and you were just like, I'm not, stop I'm not listening. Why? Because what do I, who do I want to serve? Me. Never woke up like, I can't believe this happened. Like, like, no alcoholic ever woke up drunk the next morning and be like, I don't know, there, I, there was just a bottle and I drank it, and next thing you know, I was gone. I don't know what happened. It doesn't work that way, it never has, and it never will. This is the common grace that God gives. You know, and when we're caught wrong, we ignore. Now, the beauty of his work is that for that too, Christ died. For that sin... For that iniquity, for that separation, the work of Christ make amend, makes amends. It covers sin, it pays the penalty, and it calls us back to God. This is why, again, when do you start your discipleship? Now. You're like, well, no, I started five minutes ago. What are you doing about five minutes ago? Nothing. What are you doing about now? The people you are around, 
the place that you are walking. How do I serve God? How do I glorify God now? Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. See, how do you make sure you do that? Again, guard your heart. Guard your attitude. Change your motivations and your hopes to be in alignment with what God has called. Luke 13. You will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out, and they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. What's the warning? What is that person standing there? Well, you were there. I listened to you talk. I, 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 I sat down with you. We hung out with you. We talked. We ate. Do you get into the party at the end? No. Why? Because you ignored the 18 stop signs and the flag person and all the things warning you as you went flying through. This is the warning. What we do isn't necessarily the end-all, be-all. See, I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to keep saying it. I don't just want to change what you do. What do I want to change? No, more than that. Why you do it. Because the why, again, think through you. Can I change your actions? No, no, but the Holy Spirit can change your heart. And when the Holy Spirit changes your heart, he changes your motivations and he changes your desire. So heart change leads to thinking change. And when I change the way you think, now I can change the way you act, the way you do things. I can't change it. The Holy Spirit does. So I want to get you to the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you discipling this way? Why are you not discipling this way? If I get you evaluating the why, you know who's going to do the work? Holy Spirit. He's got this. When you do that evaluation work, he's going to bring up, he, he's going to be flashing the road signs going, no, no. And eventually he's going to get that nice big boot out and go, no. And everything's going to be okay. Because he's now guiding. He's now steering. And he is now going to drag you kicking and screaming if need be across the finish line. He does that work amazingly well. If I want to change the way you act, I have to change the way you think. If I want to change the way you think, I have to change what you want your desires. I don't want to just see Jesus. I don't want to be like, oh, look, it's the Jesus parade. I want to be in the parade. I want to be walking with him, growing, following in the way that he's walking. Why? Because that's the Christian mindset. The people that get cast out are like, well, we were hanging out. You're right, but you weren't walking faithfully. And this is not new. This is the warning that God has given from the beginning. Isaiah 66. For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them and will send survivors from them to the nations, from Tarshish, from Put, from Lud, from Meshech, Tubal, and Javan. You don't even know where those places are. They're in that book of maps in your Bible. You can look them up later. To the distant coastlands that have never heard of my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. Then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord, on horses and chariots and litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. Notice, it's not all of those who are standing in Israel, is it? But it's the ones from far off the ones where God's glory has been proclaimed, the ones where the message has been, has been cast out, the ones who said, no, 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 I'm, I'm in, I'm following along. That's where I want to go. 
don't just be hearers of the word as James warned you. Do what? Be doers of the word. Why? Because if you're a true hearer of the word, what's different about you? Heart, soul, spirit. And that changes how you think, which changes how you live. This is why I tell you all the time, look back long time. If you've walked with Christ 10, 15, 20, 30 years, look back over time. Don't go, man, it's been a bad week. No, no, we don't do Christian evaluation over the course of a week. We do Christian evaluation over the course of a lifetime. So you started down there in the muck and the mire, and you're like, yeah, but I still don't like where I'm at. I, I get that. Good. I'm glad you don't like where you're at, but are you better than when you started? Because if you are, that is good news. And so Again, I've said this one before. I'll, I'll remind you. I don't get this as much as I used to, so I think the message has finally gotten out, so I'm, I'm happy. And I don't, I'm not picking on you guys. I'm picking on every church I've ever been in. I always get one or two people that are freaked out because they think they've committed the unpardonable sin. They're like, I, I've blasphemed the Spirit. I just know I haven't. God's going to cast me out. It doesn't matter what I do. Whoa, time out. Let me help you out. If you think you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and you're worried about it, you haven't. <laughs> because if you blasphemed the Spirit and cast him out of your life, you know what he did? He went, bye, and he left. He has abandoned you. You wouldn't care. It's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture when Samson, because he's been so hardened by his actions and his sin, when the Holy Spirit finally does leave him, he doesn't even notice. And as a Christian, you're sitting there going, like, how would you not notice? Like, how would you not feel that? How, how would that just be nothing? That's the callousness of the heart. That's the difference between Moses and Pharaoh, as we were looking at it last week. So if you think you've blasphemed the Spirit and you're concerned, you haven't. If you think you're not growing enough and you're worried about growing in godliness, you are. Because that's your first step. I'm falling into this sin and I don't want to. See, that we can work with. That we can do something. See, congratulations, you're in good company. What does Paul tell you he did? Romans 7. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do are the things that I'm doing. Who will free me from this body of death? Thanks be to God that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's the transition from Romans 7 to Romans 8. When you go, I don't like this sin. I want to get out of it. Good. We can work with this. We can do something. You are now following rightly. You're not standing in the sideline going, oh, look, there's Jesus teaching and preaching in the streets. That's awesome. You're like, get out of my way. I want into the parade. That is walking rightly. That is entering his courts. So let's continue on. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? Who has accomplished all the stuff we've been talking about today? He has. Now, here's the, here's the fun part. I'll get a wrong answer. You ready? I'm going to call it now because either he's going to give me the answer I know he's going to get or he's going to bite his tongue off, which is going to be hysterically. So I'm good for it. Oh, see, he's talking now, so I can't do it. i got to wait for him. Who out-wrestles God? Nobody. See, I told you. I got him caught in the middle of something. So. Who actually has the audacity to war with God when they know they're warring with him? Nobody. They're like, I don't want any part of this fight. I'm not going there. So if God is the one who has accomplished all of these things, if God is the one who has brought you in, who's booting you out? You're not even booting you out. That's why I joke that kicking and screaming, kicking and screaming. You want a good example of someone kicking and screaming and being drugged across the finish line of salvation? Read the book of Job. 
This is what we've been doing on our men's group on Wednesday nights. Job is somebody who's like, you're reading one chapter, and you're like, he's praising God and trusting in him. And then the very next chapter, he's like, I wish God would just kill me. I'm going to reach into this Bible, and I'm going to strangle the man if he doesn't get his act together. What have you got? And literally, in the person of Job, you have the war of the flesh against the war of the spirit. He wants to walk. He wants to trust. He wants to know. But he just, he doesn't know that he knows. And so who drags him across the finish line and gets him to where he needs to be? God does. That's what it looks like when I talk about being drug across kicking and screaming. I'm not saying that, well, I'm just going to sin and not worry about it. If you can just sin and not worry about it and not care about it, you know who's not kicking you in the butt? God isn't. And if he's not kicking sorry. I caught, I caught, oh, hang on. It was working just fine. I had it nice and organized and then hook a thumb and about rip my own ear out. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> where was I? See, this is what happens. It, you, that sound is like the reset on my brain. I don't remember where we were. I don't remember where I'm going. I'm lucky I remember who I am. I'm suddenly Cousin Eddie. You know, I, you start the microwave and I forget who I am for half an hour. <sighs> Oh, come on, that's another good 80s movie reference. Uh, Daryl's laughing with me, that's all that matters. <laughs> anyway, if you can just go off into your sin and not care, then the Holy Spirit's not kicking you in the butt. If he's not kicking you in the butt, then he's not there. You need to repent and trust in Christ so that he will kick you in the butt. Think, think about how silly this sounds. As Christians, we're signing up for, someone spank me to keep me in line, please. Because that's what you're asking the Holy Spirit to do. When I go off into my own fleshly desires, and I go off into my sin, I need someone more powerful than me in my sin to go, stop it, or else. Okay, got it. And you know how you know what the or else is? Because at some point you actually, okay, I needed that. It's good for you. Discipline is good. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And that's how we get drug kicking and screaming. Because let's be honest, most of the time in life with sin, we're children in candy stores, right? Like, ooh, and I need the adult to go, no, we have food at home. Okay, all right, I can get through this. I can get... That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what we need. Because, again, what part of your world, what part of your life, apart from the Holy Spirit, pulls you towards righteousness and godliness? Nothing. That's why the Holy Spirit assembles people around you who do this work. He gives you the grace and the mercy to secure you to him so that you will get to the finish line. This is why we praise. This is another reason for thankfulness. You're secure in Christ because you secure you? No. He secures you. So, verse 5. For the Lord is good. Time out. Why does God do all the things that he does? Because he's good. Malachi chapter 3. I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be swift. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow, the orphan, those who turn aside the alien, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. I read you that because we balance this, right? God is a God of justice, but he is also a God of mercy. Justice will be, judgment will be carried out, but if you are his, his goodness will shine down. Will that ever change? No, he does not change. That has been true from the beginning, and it is true now. The Lord is good. Now, catch this. If the Lord is good, 
and the world is bad, who broke it? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the most on-brand ever for Jonathan. He did. <laughs> Usually I have, to tell, I have to tell wives not to do that to their husbands. Who broke this place? That guy over there. <laughs> it's not my fault. We didn't start the fire, right? Come on, there's bad. Now you got a bad 80s song. See, now, you, now you'll be singing Billy Joel the rest of the day. You are welcome. <laughs> Vern's over there. Vern's, Vern's got a whole Billy Joel concert in his head right now. No. God is good. This is my caveman theology example, right? Him good. Me bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Consider your calling, brethren. You want to talk about a, a good kick in the butt? Here it is. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame those which are strong. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. How'd you like to write that letter to the church? You know, you guys weren't really smart, and you weren't really strong, and you weren't really good at a lot of stuff, and that just proves how great God is. <laughs> How'd you like to have read that one on a Sunday morning? Not many of us were noble, not many of us were wise, and not many... Wait a minute, I think I've been insulted. You're right, you have been, and it's good for you. It's good for me. We're not smart. We're not wise. We're not strong. We're weak. But God is strong. That's what Paul talks about. I would rather boast in the strength, the mercy, and the wisdom of God. Because when I'm left to my own devices, you know what I produce? <laughs> Turn on the news for five minutes, I dare you. I dare you. That's why we have to remember, whose world do we live in? His. For whom are we supposed to be working? Him. When are we supposed to be working for him? Why? His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. See, we can do these things because our rest from our labors is not here. You have that moment, right? You get home. I just want to sit. <sighs> and right about that point, what happens? <laughs> right about that point, a child, the neighbor, the phone, the dog, and the most aggravating second and a half of your life is what? <sighs> Why? Yes, because I gained 400 pounds when I found that chair. That's not my rest. We long for it here. And you know what we're doing when we long for it here? We're longing for the wrong thing. I heard a pastor actually say this to his congregation, and I went, you know what? I don't like that you said it out loud, but I think you're right. And his lesson was this. You're supposed to be tired. You're supposed to be worn out. You're supposed to be. Because if you weren't, what would you think of this place? This place was awesome. But it's not awesome. I'm tired and I'm broken. Look, I, I grew up, 
I grew up with 2010 vision. I could actually see the spin on a baseball in a batter's box. You know how hard that is to do? I could stand in a batter's box and identify pitches by spin. I could do it when I started coaching because I wasn't wearing glasses yet. So I could, I could tell my kids what was wrong with their curveball, what was wrong with their slider, what was wrong with their changeup by watching it spin out of their hands. And all of a sudden, I realized I was reading like this as I was driving. <laughs> and I had a headache all the time. So I finally went to the doctor, and they said, well, how's that look? Like, ah! And I spent two weeks, Cameron will vouch for this. When I got these, I spent two weeks like this. I walked around all the time going, why? Because I didn't realize how blind I had gotten. You know how miserable it was, though, when I went back to coaching after I got glasses? Because as good as this makes my vision again, it's not the same. I don't see the spin anymore. I played in a men's softball league, and I was, for the first time in my life, terrified. You're playing a men's softball league with some of these guys. They have, like, no neck, and they're this tall, and they hit the ball 800 miles an hour. And I've been an infielder my entire life, and I'm standing there at third base going, because all of a sudden, even with my glasses on, you know how quick that ball started getting there? Because when you don't see the spin anymore, it comes at you faster, and you have less time to react. And I realized my reaction time is that much slower, and that was the difference between making a clean play and taking a ground ball off my chest. That didn't feel good. You start getting nervous. And I hated it, and now I don't care. It's good for me. You know who I need to not trust in? Me. I need to not trust in what I can see. I need to not trust in what I can do. That's why I joke that every, the older I get, the farther away the floor is. Because my kids now will look at me and go, come sit on the floor and do this. <laughs> it's all the way down there. It's all, and I mean, and, and look, let, let's just be honest for a second here. I'll do this for the camera because if I get to, I mean, is this really complicated? I mean, I'm not that old and I am not that out of shape. I can still do that. Why don't I want to? Because I'm slowly breaking down, just like you, just like every human being that has ever come before. And there is coming a day when I won't even be able to do that. And you know who that'll be good for? Me. Because I want my rest where? Now. I want my peace where? Here. Where is it? Hebrews chapter 4. If Joshua had given them rest, talking about going into the promised land, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter into that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same examples of disobedience. Your rest isn't here. Your peace isn't here. It's with Christ. It is hidden with God on high, and it will be revealed when? When the kingdom is ushered in. So until then, I do what? I work. Why could the Protestant work ethic be what it be? Why would they just clear ground, farm, raise their children, read their Bible? Why? Just as long as they were awake, they were doing what? They were moving. Why? Because their rest wasn't here. It was in eternity. I didn't tell you not to sit down. Enjoy it. We're going to go sit down and eat. That's a good thing. But know that as you sit, as we eat, as we drive, as we rest with our families, as we do all of these things, I am seeking to do what? How do I glorify God now? How do I relax to the glory of God? Whose glory do you typically relax to? Yours. Why am I doing this? My feet are up because that feels good. <sighs> 
How do I relax? How do I recharge my batteries to the glory of God? Why does he grant us rest? Why does he grant us comfort? So that we may be rejuvenated so we can do what? Continue to work in his kingdom. These are the good things that he has given us. God is good. How often? Always, always, always. And it starts with what? How do I disciple now? Me. How do I motivate my heart, my mind, so that my actions are in alignment with who God is, what he would have me to do, and knowing that how often am I going to fail in this? <laughs> and for that too, Christ died. And this is the beauty of discipleship, is when I get it wrong, what can I do? I can return and know that he hears me, that he has loved me, that he has saved me, and I can continue on in my work, and that is my good news. Because for all I fall short, he has succeeded. For all that I can accomplish, he has finished. For all that I want to be, he will provide. Not me, him. My job, how do I keep walking until that day? Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you have done and the work you continue to do, for the graces that you provide, for the mercies that you grant us each and every day. Lord, you have worked and you have changed us, and I pray that you would continue to strengthen us, that our minds would be renewed, that our souls would be refreshed, and that our, our desires would be for your kingdom. Lord, let us see this place rightly. Let us see this as the stopping point, that we may know you, love you, and serve you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given us Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given us Jesus Christ, His Son. And now, let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say I am strong, and let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ 
is a gift thanks with the grateful heart give thanks to the holy one give thanks because he's given jesus christ his son and now let the weak say I am strong, and let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say. I am strong, and let the poor see I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for